February 27th, 1976. I mean, these are real teenagers, they're pre-college, you know, college types, high school types, not little, not little kids, they can't read. They, so, the, so the book is done entirely in the form of cartoons, uh, little funny pop-outs that pop out. They, uh, oh, yes, well, I, 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 very, I very seriously expect that by the 21st century, what little history that will be taught by then, let's say uh, uh, European history, will be taught by a series of comic books. And there will be a... Uh, sure, because that will be the accepted method of uh, communicating at that time. Can't you imagine a, a comic book uh, version of The War of the Roses? Or, uh, <laughs> sure, a lot of people. Yeah, what's wrong with it, huh? Well, <laughs> except... Well, I'll tell you one of the things that's wrong with it, if you don't mind me being a bit negative here. I should really say that's great. You know, it's a great idea. But... Uh, Things like wars, like, say, the War of the Roses, are so subtle. There are so many subtle problems that you just can't bring that out in a series of balloons over people's heads. You know, uh, <laughs> can, you, can you imagine the, uh, the cartoon treatment of the trial of Joan of Arc and all these balloons over the, you know, the various uh, bishops and stuff discussing uh, religious uh, heresy and... Uh, but my lord, troth, she speaketh heresy. You know, big balloon. And, uh, <laughs> and underneath <laughs> Oh, wow. I don't know where it's all going to end. But uh, nevertheless, uh, one of the things that you must understand, though, about schools, in case you, you know, you say to yourself, well, obviously they're not learning how to read. And if you've tried to get proper change uh, recently going through a... Uh... In fact, you know, the other day I had a, a really fascinating example of, uh, of the fallout of a previous educational philosophy. You know already they're beginning to discredit uh, a 
one of the big fads of the late 50s and early 60s. It persisted to about uh, roughly the mid-60s. Do you remember that fad of new math? Recall that? It's, it's practically disappeared now, you know. That was a brief fad. Well, there are people around though that are still the victims of it, you see. That's exactly. So uh, the other day, I was, I was going through a, a, a checkout line, see, and just, in a, you know, in a supermarket. And, and so uh, I said something to this girl. I said, well, here, I'll give you a, I'll give you a dollar, and, uh, and uh, that'll round it off, and then you just give me the change. You know, but this sudden look of total confusion came over her mind, head. Yeah, I could just see it. And I said, well, no, all you have to do is just figure it out. All, all you got to do is just give me the 12 cents. Just, uh, wait a minute. And I could see her going through a very laborious process in her head. She was having trouble subtracting 17 cents from a dollar <laughs> and, and coming around with the proper answer, which, as you all know, is 63 cents, right? Ah, you got it. Very good. I'll just give you a little, little quickie test. Uh, okay, but the thing here is, is that uh, I said, well, I said, come on, it's, and uh, people were getting kind of bugged, you know, there was some some lady, angry lady behind me who had her car triple parked, you know, and she wanted to get through, and and finally, the, the manager, who was just happened to be standing there, he came over and said, what's the trouble? I says, well, we're having trouble here with the change. He says, well, what's the problem? I said, well, the problem, apparently, is she can't count. <laughs> and he says, oh, here, well, let me do that. And so at that point, he gives me the change. This girl looked kind of confused. And I, I'm walking through the lane, and the, the manager then says, he says to me, he says, man, he says, we sure have problems like that. And I said, what's the matter? He says, well, those are the new math types that took new math. They, can't, they cannot, you know, they can deal in decimals. Fantastic with the decimals. But they have trouble, you know, at the checkout counter when some lady wants an 87-cent package of bacon. And so I, I, I said, you know, this is a, a, a passing phase. Now, currently, what's, go, you know, what's going on in, in schools? Well, I have a report here. Would you like a little report on a great, on a great subject that's being taught in, in one school at least? Now, you know, uh, one of the things that schools have done recently, within the last five years, they've steered away from hard knowledge, which means, you know, hard knowledge it's the kind of stuff like being able to add, uh, being able to subtract, uh, being able to divide. That's a mean one. Eh? I'm telling you, that's a bad one. You know, with that funny line over the top there? Right. Oh, uh, fractions. Forget it. I'm telling you, I have, I've known of people who actually were on the verge of suicide trying to add three quarters and seven eighths. <laughs> I mean, I'm forget it, Phil. <laughs> Don't you know how to do that? Come on, three quarters and seven eighths. How do you do it? You convert the three quarters to what? Correct. Yeah, except that that won't work when uh, doing what I'm doing. <laughs> he holds up his little pocket uh, calculator there. All right, okay. All right. Add three quarters and seven eighths on that machine. Let's see how you do it. That's ruined, isn't it? Well, because most calculators don't come in, in, uh, in fractions. And uh, you have to convert, see? You have to... Con right, there you go. Okay. So, the hard knowledge is very definitely steered away. And I, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I would love to have gone to a school where all we did was, you know, walk around and talk about Winnie the Pooh 
you know, uh, study things like uh, how to appreciate movies. You know that there are courses now on how to appreciate movies. You know, and you go and you sit and you watch Burt Reynolds uh, running around on this boat with Liza Minnelli, and then you write a piece about it. You know, if you can write, you know, what you do is print laboriously a theme about it. Uh, print it, you know, sweating with a thumb, uh, thumb printed uh, paper. And, uh, that, you know, that, that's kind of a great school. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I was in a school when I was a kid that was in the forerunner of that kind of stuff. Now, it may surprise you, but that's a fact. I was in a school that was later studied by many other schools because it was like the forerunner experimental school for uh, that kind of non-learning. For example, do you know that, that we had a course, which I kind of liked, I mean, a course, uh, a course called uh, uh, Horticulture. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? You know, it sounds like you're studying how to grow radishes. <laughs> no way. You know what we did? Uh, horticulture class consisted of, of the entire class. Oh, it was a wonderful class. I really loved it. Because it consisted of our entire class every day going out, walking down the street, and walking around in the park for an hour. Just wonderful. You know, that's a great class. And and we never had any exams. What are you going to, you know, uh, you uh, we just walk around and, and, and uh, look at the birds. And uh, I remember <laughs> the, the teacher was a great guy. He would he just sort of walk around, and he was a horticulturist, and he'd say stuff like, uh, if any of you are curious about anything that you see out here in the park, just ask. And so once in a while, someone would say, hey, what's that under the bush over there? And he'd say, oh, that's uh, that is a beer can. Oh, and then we'd walk around. You know, it's just kind of great, <laughs> that kind of class. We also found other things under the bushes, which we didn't talk about. But, uh, you know, that was the kind of class it was. It was a non-class. Now, how many credits did I get for that? Three credits. It's a nice, reasonable number of credits for walking around in the park. Now, uh, as, a, as, a, as a football player, I was given the opportunity to have some other of those great courses. For example, did you know that we had... We had a course called Athletic Administration. Now, what, what kind of a course was that? Well, actually, it was under what they called the Civics Department. In other words, that was learning to be a citizen. Athletics Administration. Now, I went to a high school where you could get three credit hours. And what did you do in Athletics Administration? Oh, it was only open, by the way, to members of various varsity teams. No, no, no. Oh no! Oh, no, we now that would have been a good one if if they'd come in and had you know discussions of contracts and uh, reserve clauses and stuff like that. But athletic administration consists of standing around and counting towels. Yeah, we did. Yes, we counted towels, and uh, and we had this assistant coach, Mr. Wilson. See, <laughs> Mr. Wilson. One day, I remember one one class we had in maintaining football uniforms. And uh, Mr. Yes, now you it's probably never occurred to you that this is a real problem keeping football uniforms of a team in condition. Oh, they got to get them cleaned. Oh, sure. I mean, you guys, you guys see Mercury Morris running in, and half his jersey is torn off. The wheels are already in motion in the athletic administration department of bringing in a new jersey, making sure that it says Morris on the back. Instead of, say, Zonka, who's no longer with the team. All of this takes a lot of serious study. 
really serious study. And so I was one of the forerunners who studied seriously athletic administration. And Mr. Wilson one day had a, a class, we had a class in how to deal with the cleaning establishment that has the contract to clean the football suits. And he, I remember him holding up this pair of, uh, of uh, you know, nylon pants, and he says, now, when you get, they, they tend to get these grass stains, you know, when a guy goes sliding on his behind, so, you know, over 30 yards of grass, he tends to pick up a little green grass all over the place. He says, now, this, this can be removed only by a certain type of cleaning. Make sure that you get this type of cleaning. And, <laughs> and we're all taking notes, see? Well, that was a three-credit-hour course. It's right down on my record. Now, you want you know what? Another one, I, oh, gee, one of the greatest, uh, two years I took, well, actually two semesters, two semesters of swimming. Oh, wonderful. Swimming one and swimming two. Now, that didn't mean that you were trying to be in the Olympics. What you did every day was literally go down and take a dip. Yeah, you know, at, at 11 o'clock in the morning, me and all of my buddies, Schwartz and Flick and Bruner, we were in the swimming class. We go down there, put on our swimming suits. We had these tank suits, you know, a little short pants and stuff. And we go running out and Mr. We had, a, we had this teacher down there, Mr. Burris, Mr. Raymond Burris. Mr. Burris had been a swimmer at Yale. He's a famous swimmer. Thing. Now all he did in the swimming class was uh, once in a while he'd get up on the one meter board and show us how he did it in the Ivy League. You know, he'd go thunk, thunk, thunk. He'd go up in the air. He'd cut right in the water. He'd say, all right, now all you guys, all you guys on the, on the end of the line from here, left, all you guys try that. And we'd just run out on the board and jump up and down. Hey, watch me, Schwartz. Whoop, splash, you know. Oh, what a great course. And we spent two semesters just fooling around the swimming pool. Now, how much credit did I get for that? Six credit hours for that. It's right there on my record. It shows that Shepard mastered mastered the one-meter board. Shows that Shepard knows all about this. It's all right. I'll get to it. It's, 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 all you got to do is remind me. I, I do work in my own time. All right. I mastered the one-meter board. See, in other words, what I'm saying is my education was filled with puffery. Hot air. Horticulture. Swimming on your back. Uh, we even had a class that was, in a sense, a class in fooling around. It was called intergroup relationships. That was a great one. We just saw it, you know, sat around and, and said stuff to each other, like, uh, hey, Schwartz, boy, are you stupid. And at that point, uh, Miss Morton would say, no, you shouldn't say that. And say, uh, Schwartz, uh, uh, I find something troubling me about you. And so I'd say, okay, Schwartz, Schwartz, there's something troubling me about you. And then he would say, ah, oh, knock it off. And she said, <laughs> can you imagine what you study in intergroup relationships? Now, that was in what we call the citizenship series of classes we had. Now, that was another three credit hours, and it's right there on my record that Shepard knows about intergroup relationships. See, puffery, which I think we all secretly like. We like puffery. It's the hard stuff we don't like. You know, really hard stuff. We like balderdash. I think man has a great taste for it. Balderdash. Pure balderdash. Which reminds me, this is WOR New York. Speaking of balderdash, it's commercial time. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Now, there's a point to all this. I, uh, 
I was uh, looking through a newspaper the other day, you know, for just uh, straws in the wind. And here is a straw in the wind, if I ever saw one. I want to salute West Palm Beach, Florida. I mean, it doesn't get many salutes. And I'd like to salute West Palm Beach, Florida. It's a, it's a forward-looking school. Listen, a sociologist in West Palm Beach is teaching now in school, teaching earthlings how to handle meetings with life from outer space. <laughs> oh, I'd be right at home in that class. I'd go right from my interpersonal relationships class, you know, and my, my athletic administration class to exosociology. Ha-ha! See, when in doubt, when you have something that really is a, is, you know, a real flim-flam, invent a great name for it. I mean, you just can't call a class fooling around. You know, fooling around one and two. What you have to do is say interpersonal relationships one and two. You know, just uh, a bull session, in effect, is what it is. Anyway, he, he says, and now, I, you want to hear how he teaches it? How do you teach? You know, how to deal with the uh, beings from external space. Listen, he says, that's because, quote, they might be able to teach us a few things if we stick around long enough to let them, says uh, Dr. Yinger of Palm Beach Junior College. Yinger is conducting a lecture series in a new field of knowledge, exosociology, the study of the social forms of extraterrestrial life. Now, how about that? A whole new study based on... Uh, <laughs> on something nobody knows about. Now, uh, uh, any uh, uh, astronomer can tell you that there's great differences of opinion as to whether any life exists on any other planet. It really does. There's a great deal. Now, logic says, yeah, there should be some form of life somewhere. But we have no evidence of this. We just think there should be. <laughs> now, if you can build a whole science on something that possibly is, You've gone all the way. And uh, you want to hear uh, how, what more he says? He says, quote, now I'm, uh, I'm telling you his first quote. He says, they would have to be highly developed technologically and sociologically, Yinger tells his students in this course. He says, they would have to be in order to survive the tremendous energy systems they would need to move about in space. They would have to have learned how to live peacefully would have moved beyond warfare and violence. May I say right here at this point, oh, wait a minute. That is one of the great canards among the science fiction people. The, the, the kind of, how can I say, starry-eyed belief that if people have, have, have mastered technology, they've also mastered sociological problems. This is always among, you see this among many groups of, of, of SF people, that somehow these beautiful creatures come from outer space, and they've come uh, to, to save us. That's one kind of sociological, that's one kind of sociological SF that you see. Have you seen that one? Many times. Now there's another kind where they've come, they've come not, not really to save us, but they have arrived innocently to study or to be here, to look at this place. And they're, they're shocked to find that man has wars. That's another thing. Now, I'm, I'm going to suggest something to you. We are now on the verge of space travel here in the United States and in the world, correct? 
I would have to say that sociologically, we have not moved much beyond Attila the Hun. Would you agree with that? Yet, we are on the verge of space travel. Why should another being on another planet be any different? <laughs> I mean, just because he could travel to, say, Mars does not mean in any way, shape, or form that he has overcome war. As a matter of fact, he could be traveling to Mars to further an even more spectacular war. sitting here thinking about that course. I'd love to take it. Now, now, I find, though, you know, I'll tell you, it's it, it, just this personal observation. I find that not many people will argue with a professor in class about what could be called romantic idealistic images. In fact, I remember one time, I, it personally happened to me. No, because kids naturally are idealistic. See, so a kid sitting there listening to this, he thinks, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they must have gotten over wars. No, so he's not going to argue. Uh, he wants to believe this. In other words, uh, a lot of classes that many of us have taken in our lifetime have nothing to do with knowledge, but have a lot to do with myths and dreams. Now, a myth can have often nothing whatsoever to do with what's really going to happen. The dream, even less. In fact, I, I, I remember the only class that, that really sticks in my mind that I took as a real puff class. Now, if any of you have ever gone to college, you know that there are things that are, that are really puff classes, just things you fill out your schedule with, you know. Except you're going to pick up a few quick credits. And, uh, you know, these nice classes here. The, the ones that you really got to deal with. Like a solid, uh, for example, uh, uh, oh, uh, chemistry. Uh, you have to deal with them. And that's enough of a problem. But stuff like uh, calculus. You can't fake your way through calculus. Now, most college courses are based on the idea that you're going to have to deal with some of these things, you know. If you're, if you're seriously going to school, you're going you're to sit down and you're going to you're going to deal with chemistry. You're going to deal with with calculus. So you're going to you're going to struggle your way through physics. Uh, so you like to have what could be called a puff course. You know, something that's just kind of you know kind of padded out nice, like pick up a few extra credits. One time, I'm sitting there looking at my looking at my college catalog. You know, it's, it's nice, soft, uh, late summer day, and I'm I'm making out my I'm making up my schedule. See, so, okay, I'm going to have to take. I'm going to have to take, and I don't like it, but I'm going to have to take second year chemistry. Right. Okay. Now, uh, that, uh, you know, that was all the carbon compounds. We're getting into all that kind of stuff. And, and so, so, all right, that's going to be a real drag. Okay. So I signed, um, I'm going to take that one. See, chemistry 202A. So I'm looking around, looking through the book. Oh, here's a nice course. Sounds really nice. Huh. Ethics. Who doesn't believe he knows about ethics? 
I mean, you know, you think, you know, what, you know what life is about. You know what's right and wrong. That's like studying what's right and wrong, huh? Right? Ethics? <laughs> Everybody knows about them. Now, you may not have any ethics, but you know about them, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> let's face it, you don't have to write a play to study playwrights, right? So, uh, I, you know, I, I, I sign up for ethics. And figuring that's going to be a nice, quick, it, it met three times a week. It's going to be for one hour, something like 55 minutes a shot. Three 55-minute periods. It's going to be a nice, quick three credits. So, the first day I arrive, and the professor's sitting up there in the front there, and he's got he's got kind of a gray hair. He's just this odd-looking guy. He had sort of uh, uh, thick glasses and a rumpled suit. And he was sitting with his, his chair tilted back. And we all sort of scattered around in the class. I didn't know anybody in the class, and he... He passed out some books to each other of us, and he'd pick up these books, and we passed them back, and I finally got a book. And I remember the book uh, had something to do with a workbook, The Six Basic Philosophies of the Western World. Well, you know, no problem here. He said, I want you to take the first one there. So I want you to read it. first one was, uh, uh, in case you're curious, was uh, Platonism. You know, Plato, the Republic, all that stuff. And so uh, I looked at it. It looked fairly interesting. You know, it was a hell of a lot more interesting than, than chemistry, <laughs> frankly. And so I figured there's no problem with this. And we talked a little bit. He's talking about ethics. And it turns out that this guy had been a criminal lawyer, also a Ph.D. in, psych- in, in philosophy. And after... Like 20 years of being a criminal lawyer, he had seen it all, man. He came back to teach philosophy. That's not the same as a philosopher who's not been out there. And I want to tell you, that semester in some ways changed my life. Because I read Platonism. And by the end of the third period of reading and discussing Platonism, I was a converted Platonic believer. I believed completely in Plato's Republic. And so did the rest of the class. And this guy kept feeding us, telling us all the great stuff, how this worked, and that he'd draw diagrams on the board of various types of syllogisms and thought processes, and how, how uh, you know, everything all fitted together in the Platonic theory. Well, we sat there, and at the end of the first four weeks, which consisted of studying Plato and the Platonic theories, there wasn't a guy in that class that did not feel that he had discovered a whole new world. And in one day, this guy destroyed it all. He just got up there, and he said, now I'm going to show you where it's wrong and how it didn't work. Bam, bam, bam. We're staggering back. And, you know, every one of us was rocked right down to our things. The next one we studied was hedonism, which, by the way, many of you study night and day and not know that you do. In fact, many of you are dedicated believers in this particular philosophy. Hedonism really basically says swing, because <laughs> that's what life's about. Well, you know, this is a very attractive belief. I mean, it's probably the most subtle of all the attractive beliefs. I mean, the idea that if it's fun, it's good for me. And what's good for me is good for the world. And what's good for the world is good for me, so hence, swing. 
you could just follow it right around like that. So anyway, at the end of the next four weeks, there wasn't a kid in that class that was not a dedicated hedonist. In fact, there were already three guys starting to become lifelong drunks in the class. <laughs> I mean, you know, hedonism. Well, he destroyed that one. And then we started on stoicism, which is exactly the opposite. Right? You know what the stoic is. The contemplation of pleasure is far more exciting than the realization of pleasure. Now that takes mental discipline. To squat in the sun and think of a magnificent four-inch thick porterhouse steak sizzling. And never go to get it. Now, that's a really interesting one. That's, uh, that's stoicism. Well, anyway, to boil a long story down into its basic components, by the end of that semester, we had gone through Christianity, stoicism, hedonism, platonism. We went through all six of them. And he had destroyed each one at the end of the session. And the last week... We all gathered. Each one of us is shaken by this time. What can we believe in? He said, friends, that's the problem. Somebody jumped up and says, you mean you can't tell us? He said, just one thing I can tell you. Nobody can. If you've learned that in this class, you've learned one of the hardest lessons that any of you will ever learn. He didn't give us an exam. I guess he graded us on the confused looks on our faces. <laughs> the smugger you looked, the lower your grade was. And as we wandered out into the sun at the end of that, that historic semester, there were arguments as we're walking down the street. But they were curiously weak arguments. Some guys say, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. I'll say, well, I don't know. And so when you meet those beings from outer space, don't be too sure that they have outmoded war on their planet. In fact, I would suggest that to be too sure about anything it's the ultimate heresy. Would you please uh, bring up uh, a little of that uh, suitable theme music there? Personally, I believe in my youth. is a 